0: If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn them to the book of Philippians. If not, look on the screen as we start a message series this Sunday on when heaven came down. Heaven came down and showed what was going on in the form of a man named Jesus. And heaven came down to give you and I a glimpse of what's to come. And we deal with so many messages on issues of life. Sometimes we lose sight of the reward of what lies ahead. We can stay so issue-oriented and crisis-managing that we forget to take people to another realm, the third heaven, where heaven came down to show us what's to come. In this series, we're gonna talk about the glimpse of God's glory. This Friday night, I wanna encourage you to come for a service where we're gonna talk about this blood's for you. No, not Budweiser, blood. This blood's for you. There you go. And then we're gonna end it on our Easter service with talking about God's wonderful, wonderful love for us when he came and showed it on the cross. But I want you to go with me to Philippians chapter one, verse 21. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell for I'm hard pressed between these two things, having desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in this flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress of joy and of faith, that you rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. This apostle is in this uncertainty of the life that may happen if he dies, or the life that stays. And he can't decide whether he wants to die he wants to stay because God gave him a glimpse of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you and we have ears to hear what you have to say to us today. So I pray that people would be strengthened and encouraged today by this message and by our service today. In your son Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. Now, before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, you've lost weight and just go ahead and sit down. You have. You really look good. (laughs) Well, again, thank you for coming. A couple of uh, reminders this Wednesday night, we have an amazing time. We have youth services for Oasis Youth with Pastor Drew and Teresa. Wonderful youth ministry happening Wednesday. Children's ministry and Bible studies for men and women. Women are with Jennifer, men are with myself and Frank. A great time Wednesday nights also this Friday. And if you have not been to the Lord's Gym City Center, you are under arrest because it is a phenomenal facility that God allowed us to open. And do you know today, just Praise Report, over 1,020 teenagers have already joined (laughs) the city center. And almost a 1,000 adults, so that's 2,000-plus people in a matter of months, and I see today uh, one of our one of our dear families that helped Jennifer and I in this church start the first Lord's Gym, which was an 8,000-square-foot building. In January 16, 2010, we started the first small gym, and a result of hard work, but Rick Dugmore and, and Celia had... Uh, Really made that first gym a reality. I see him today. Thank you, Rick, for uh, the result of (laughs) what you did back then is a result now of a 30,000 square foot facility that has multiple employees. And I always think when they whine, the employees, Rick, I think, well, Rick would run 16 hour days and you're worried about your little six hours? How dare you? I want to call you over Rick and say, tell him what's up. But I think about our life and how we have to get a glimpse of what God has for us. The apostle Paul, the scripture that I just read, he's given his life to God 33 years ago. He was blinded on this road called Damascus as he was on his way to persecute the church and God knocked him off his horse and struck him blind. And he told him that, Paul, you're aggressive, you're brilliant, you're as mean as a junkyard dog, I want you to share my love, share your grace, and so share my grace. And this apostle, he's been saved now 33 years from that blinded moment on Damascus, and now he's sitting in a Philippian jail. He's chained hand and foot and he's writing one of the most joyful epistles he's ever written, which tells us something. You can have joy in spite of your circumstances. In spite of what you go through, this apostle is is writing one of the most joy-filled writings he's ever wrote. And while he's there, he condenses life down to one statement. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is is Christ. What he's saying is that Christianity is Christ to me. It's not church services. It's not midweek. It's not singing. Christianity is Christ to him. Now think about this. He's sitting in jail and he's waiting for a final word from the emperor, which will decide which path will take him on. The emperor's command, if it's given, the apostle will tread down the road outside the prison doors. He'll go into the city square where the executioner, by one swift swing will end his life right in the center of the town square. By by the other road, if they come in and say, free this man, he'll go back to Philippi, back to the church which he started with the Philippian jailer, the purple girl. Remember I talked a couple of weeks ago about the only dealt with purple Lydia and the demon-possessed girl. He goes back and starts to tell people about the love of God, the grace of God, and he can't decide because he knows what it's like to be persecuted and he knows what it's like to be set free. If he's set free and he experiences that, it's back to encouraging his people. It's back to telling those stories of God's love and grace. It's back to living that life of conviction. But yet if he dies, he's going to be with the Lord. And the only thing this man can come up with is this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, I'm in between, in effect, these two hard places. I desire to depart, but yet I desire to stay. Now think about this. Life and death have a hold on him no longer. This is not Jesus. This is a man that's filled with Jesus. Life and death, they've lost their weight to him. He doesn't live for himself. Therefore, death is no problem. What do you do with a person like that who's happy in the prison cell? What do you do if you're the guard and you're trying to punish the dude for preaching the gospel and he can care less what you have to do to him because he has one vision that fills the horizon and that's whether he's looking at life or he's looking up death. He comes to the same place, Jesus, every single time. If he goes to heaven, he's in the presence of Jesus. If he stays on the planet, he's filled with Jesus. Here is Christ, there is Christ. It doesn't matter any longer. That's amazing to me. There's no darkness. There's only light. Every place he sees, he sees the Lord. You know, friends, that's really what being a believer is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. Do I have any believers in the house this day? If you are a believer, and I believe you are, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't come to church. You know, they say that statement, if you're scared, go to church. Like, we scared. Yeah, so what? Want to fight about it? And if you are a believer, then guess what? You never lose. If you are a believer, you never lose. Whether we're going to take your life, fine. I'll be with Jesus. We're going to let you live. Fine, I'll tell people about Jesus. It doesn't matter. You never lose. This guy's so filled with God that all he can come down with is this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The scriptures tell us that a light of afflictions that's come, they're but a moment, and they're working out for us to bring us a weight of glory that's coming. While we don't look at the things that are seen, we're to look at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, and the things that are not seen are eternal. That's a glimpse of things that are coming. The things you can't see are greater than the things you can see. The things that you're waiting to go to are greater than the things that you're going through at the moment. But we have to realize that Jesus came from heaven to give us that glimpse. He said in the book of John chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I wouldn't tell you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, there you may also be. What's heaven like? Heaven is like Jesus. And it's a very unknown place, but it has a very well-known in his name is Jesus. That's why sometimes on this earth, our eye of faith goes dim, but it's enough to know that Christ knows all. And one day we shall be with him. We shall be with him. The story is told of this minister who was telling this dying man about giving his heart to the Lord and about coming to faith. And this dying man was asking this preacher about how, how to expect the next life. What's to come in heaven? What's, what's heaven like? And this minister kind of trying to figure out the right words to say to this dying man, not fully knowing how to describe heaven and glory and all that stuff. He's trying to find the words and suddenly there was a scratch at the door and the preacher said to the dying man, he says, do you hear that? He said, that's my dog. I've left him downstairs, but he's grown impatient. He's come up because he hears my voice. He has no notion what's inside the door, but he knows that I am here. And isn't that the same with us? We don't know what goes beyond the door because Jesus said, I am the door and no man come unto the father unless I bring him in. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice, we'll come in and we'll have supper with him. That means we don't know what truly lies beyond the other side of the door, but we do know that the master's there to greet us when we get there. Oh, I like it. It's been found that Christians who do most in this present world are those who are thinking about the next one to come. That's what C.S. Lewis said. I read a biography some time ago about a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby. She was blinded at the age of six because of illness. And she left, as she passed away now many years ago, she left 6,000 hymns to God that she wrote. Some of the songs we sing in church today are coming off Fanny Crosby's writing. And as she was blinded at, at, at six years old because of illness, she never came, became bitter. She never became resentful. And one man asked her one day, he said, I think it's a great pity that the master didn't give you the gift of sight when he has given you so many other gifts? She replied quickly, do you know that if at birth, if I could have made one petition, it would have been that I would have been born blind? He looked at her stunned, surprised, because she says, when I go to heaven, the first face that my eyes shall be set upon will be that of Jesus. It won't be tainted by anything else. But isn't it isn't it true that we lose that type of glimpse, that type of lifestyle, because we get so caught up in the here and in the now. We get so caught up, but we lose that kind of what I would call radicalism that says, I'm thankful that I'm born blind, so the first person I'll see is that of Jesus. What type of life is that? That's so foreign to us, because you and I, we get so bent on the here and the now, what we're going through. But can I tell you, friends, God is the author, and he is the of our faith. God doesn't write a bad book. And so many times when we go through a bad chapter in our book of life, our life, we get stuck on a bad page, a bad book. But if God is the author and if God is the finisher, then when we go through a difficult chapter, it's time to turn the page. Do you know God says, "I've got a book for you. It's called the book of life, and whosoever's name is found written in that lamb's book of life enters in to a place called heaven? Do you know that God set in his book called the Bible, 66 chapters in that book or 66 books in the Bible? Do you know from the beginning is Genesis all the way through 66 is the book of Revelation? And what's so amazing about that book is so many people, they get intimidated by that revelation and they get so misguided by it and they get so caught up on what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in this world, but they lose sight of what the book is all about. It's giving you and I a revealing of the glimpse of what's to come, of what's happening in heaven. It's not all about what's happening on the earth with this sign or this sign, and we're trying to find the, the mark of the beast in 666 when the world is sick 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 and in need of a savior And that's why you and I are here, to give help, to give hurting people the help they need, because the world is in need of a doctor. And I want you to know that Jesus has come to give us health and give us strength. The emphasis is not on all that. It's on what's happening in heaven. The purpose is to give us a glimpse. That's why God writes in the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Why? Because the apostle John who wrote the book was in the most troublesome time of his life. He was away from his family. He was away from his church, the people that he loved. He's surrounded by water, and Almighty God gives him a direct word. Do you know that from 33 AD, after Jesus is hoisted up into heaven, they don't hear from him for 60 years? They don't hear from the Lord. They thought many that Jesus had forgotten him. They They didn't realize that he was getting ready to reveal himself of what's going on and what's going to happen. And I think it's amazing because many people thought that it was over. The words are there and there's no more to come. But then Jesus shows them what's to come in this wonderful glimpse of what's happening. Have you ever thought about the modern church, unbelievers and Satan, what they have in common? They have three things in common. They all started good. The church started good in Acts chapter one. It started good. People started good in Genesis chapter one. God created them. Satan started off good. He was an archangel in heaven. The second thing they had in common, they all had a great fall. Genesis chapter 3, we know about the great fall of Satan and sin and the woman and the man and all that stuff that happened. We know about Satan in Isaiah 14 getting kicked out of heaven. And we know about the great fall of the church when people left the church around 80, 90, 90 AD and shortly after the great outflux because people got religion and they no longer got a relationship. Humanity's fall. I, the uh, Satan falls. All the church falls. But do you know what else they have? have in common, they don't like the book of Revelation common man don't like it. The the church that's modern don't like it. And Satan certainly don't like it. The church doesn't like it because it talks about the blood. It talks about the second coming, that before I end this service, he can split that eastern sky and come back for his church. People don't like to hear about certain things, about the blood of the lamb and all those type of things. I know that man doesn't want to hear about it because it tells you right from wrong. That's repulsive, that God would judge sin and God would Do that, but I want you to know that's what Calvary screams. That's why it pleased the Father to bruise the Son, because he was so in love with you. He had so much destiny over you that he put his son on the cross so you wouldn't have to. He put his son up there to die and to be to be brutally beaten so you wouldn't have to be. He put his son in poverty so you can have wealth. He put his son in sickness so you could be set free. He put his son on the cross to be shamed so you wouldn't have to live in shame. Friends, you need to know that God Almighty has prepared a way where there seems to be no way. He has you in the palm of his hand. But I want to tell you why the devil don't like the book of Revelation, because it's his autobiography. It shows his vulnerability, that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, that he is a defeated foe. The book is not timely. The book is timeless, but it focuses on what's coming. So John, he's on this island by himself. He's away from his loved ones and God gives him a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. He says, I saw a great multitude in heaven of every tribe, every kindred and every tongue, all nations, all tribes, all tongues standing before the Lamb. What a great sight that must have been. There's not a black section. There's not a white section. There's not a Hispanic section. There's none of that suburb section. There's not an inner city section. There's not a Baptist and a Pentecostal, a Presbyterian, a non-denominational, a Catholic. There's none of that. There's every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue. This is us, Jack. It's us. And the scriptures tell us something interesting that we're doing. We're wearing robes and we're carrying palm branches. They're in our hands. It's speaking about a church that's victorious, not a church that's whimpering in the corner, hiding from life, not wanting to get infected by life, a church that has been victorious over the world, victorious over the enemy, victorious over situations. It's showing a redeemed church. It's showing a blood-bought church. The angels now see this multitude of all these people And they ask one another, who are these people that are singing this new salvation song? I love the next phrase because heaven's inhabitants, they start joining in in this new song. And they begin to ask, who are these people? Who are these Africans? Who are these Chinese? Who are these Anglos? Who are these Portuguese people? Who are these Russians? Who are these Ukrainians? Who are these Salvadorians? Who are these Cubans? Oh, who are these people? They have been bought by the precious blood of the lamb worshiping God and I love what it says they've the ones that have come out of the tribulation they've come out of trial they've come out of situations and they serve the Lord day and night around the throne thank God for the blood of Jesus you say well I've never heard stuff like that before but the Bible says for this reason they'll serve, they're before him day and night They're before the Lord. And the scriptures say something amazing. They're not going to hunger anymore. We're not going to thirst anymore. The sun won't beat down us on anymore. There's no more heat for the lamb is at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them in springs of water. And God says, I'll wipe away every tear from the eye. What a glimpse. Every tear is gone. No more heat of the battle. No more desert places of asking God, where are you in this? Every need is met. That's why when this, is written, the apostle is looking at the church, he's looking at life, and he sees it just kind of minuscule because it's been so beaten down and so much drama. That's why he says in 1 John, we are of God, but the whole world lies in wickedness. The church to him before God showed him a glimpse was this kind of lily in a field of thorns, lamb in the midst of vicious wolves, but now he sees something different. Now the thorns are gone. He sees the lilies being innumerable. Now it's every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. We're all living in a time now where if you stand up for convictions, if you stand up for morality, you become a true minority. The lily among the thorns, the lamb in the midst of wolves. But friends, there's coming a day. There is coming a day. No more thorns, no more wolves. We worship around the throne of God day and night, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. What a glimpse of of glory that God's given us. Can you give him a round of applause if you're ready for more of that? Now, think about this, because when we realize that, we see the greatness of our God and the greatness of his grace toward us. That's what happens when you really see this thing for what it is. Have you ever said to somebody, you just don't understand because you haven't been there yet? You know, it's like, hey, I, I, I know what it's like to be married and they've never been married. You think you know what it's like to be married, Jack? No bueno. My wife and I are celebrating this year 17 years of being married. This year? Oh. Mi mujer. 18 years. I'm going to need a ride home. I'm going to need a ride home. 18 years. You don't understand it until you experience that. It's like the person that said, you know, having a baby must be like, it's like, until you have babies, you don't know what it'd be like. I think about the other day, I literally asked a girl, uh, because she really looked the part, I said, the woman are you expecting. Never say that, men. Never ask a woman if she's pregnant unless you see the baby actually being born. Even then, act surprised. Act surprised. You don't understand it until you experience it. Talking about that and experiencing that are two different things. You ever heard somebody talk? and they just recite words that they've listened to or heard, and they talk, but they don't really experience it. They talk about stuff. It's like that you can hear some preachers, they do that. They talk stuff they've read or somebody else have said, but they don't more believe that than a man on the moon. You ever get around people like that, they talk about this and that, and then they don't really experience it, so they have no validity in it. Talking about something and experiencing something are two different things. It's like that with sin, and it's like that with grace. I could talk about it till the cows come home. Sin, you're missing the mark of God. Don't be a sinner, blah, blah. I could talk about grace, the unmerited favor of God. But until you experience that for yourself, until you made the worst mistake of your life, and people may have walked out on you, people may have rejected you, but God says, I'm here to accept you. You are already approved. You are already loved. You are already chosen. Not participating in in the issue of sin is not the issue of participating in the favor of god you are already favored you are already loved you are already redeemed he's already that. When we experience something, the majesty of our God, the magnitude of His grace, we experience it fully when we come before the throne. We don't understand the depth of our sin until we come before the throne because heaven becomes a eye-opening experience for us when we understand the greatness of His character and the greatness of our God. We begin to realize how much we needed Him because Christ did not come to this earth because He needed us. He came to this earth because we needed him. We needed him. And that's why this apostle is perplexed to say, I can go be with the Lord or I can stay and help people come to the Lord. And that's why when we stand before God on that glorious day, we come right in front. I love that passage as we close our time this morning. It's what, it's what gets us excited if you really understand. The Bible says every one of these people that are coming to this place, are standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. How many? Everybody. How much? All. All of them. That means box seats right out in front, in front of the throne, in front of the Lamb. That's where we are. You say, well, everybody's going to be there, Joey, that's received the Lord. Yes, everybody. That's what it says. Well, God must be big then. Yeah, Jack, the universe can't contain him. That's how big he is. I recently was talking to a precious lady who she really meant well, and she was trying to sell me on a particular religion that certain people go to heaven, and she began to talk to me about how 144,000, if, if you get into this certain religion, you'll go to heaven, and I said, well, wait a second, 144,000, how many live in Stockton? 300,000? I said, how, how many people are on the planet? Seven billion? Seven billion? I said, I'm sorry, you're selling me a ticket on a bus that's already full. everybody is there. Everybody is in front of the throne. The universe can't contain the Lord. Everybody's there before the Lamb of God. The amazing part, the redeemed are before the throne. The angels are around the throne. It seems to me, just my imagination, that the blood of Jesus being washed in that blood, you get closer than the angels. That the righteousness of Christ is millions of times more lovely than the highest of angels. To be clothed in garments that have been made white by the Lamb of God are greater than the garments of Michael and greater than the garments of of Gabriel. They're greater to be washed by his amazing grace, to be sealed by his blood. We're right in front of the throne. You've already been redeemed. You've already been loved. You've already been called. Receive it and walk in it today in the name of Jesus. I love that passage because it says robes and palms. We're wearing the same thing and we're carrying the same thing. I know some ladies aren't going to like that in heaven, but trust me, your robes will be tight. I don't mean tight fitting. I mean, they're going to look good. What we're wearing is the same thing. You know why? Not only will you experience the magnitude of grace, but we're on the other side of the battle. wearing the same things because we are on the other side of this battle. It just seems to me lately that so many people have gone through some very intense struggles lately. Anybody there? The rest of you will, trust me. That's why I love the phrase, they'll hunger no more, neither will they thirst anymore. The sun won't beat on them anymore. No more heat. That means the struggle is going to be gone and gone forever. It seems like there's a day coming when I read that where God moves us out of the wilderness and moves us out of the fiery furnace, out of the midst of all we're going through and shows this picture of this glimpse of what's to come. The apostle John, he shows a picture of all believers in this book of Revelation carrying palm branches. That palm branch is a sign of victory. When the Jews carried it, it meant it was the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when Jesus came in to, the, to Jerusalem. He was coming in on the Feast, the Feast of Tabernacle. It was the Feast of Joy. It was the Feast of Ingathering. And the Jews carried those palm branches at the Feast of Tabernacle because it signified something, that the, the sowing was over and harvest has come. That's why they were carrying palm branches. The sowing was over and the, and the harvest has come. Sowing was done. Harvest has come. Do you know no angels have a palm branch? They don't have one. No angel has gone through temptation. No angel has gone through a battle of addiction and come through. They can't carry that palm branch. They can't come close to that throne. They don't know what it's like to be battle-scarred in this life, to be talked about and lied about and maligned. They don't know what it's like to have a prodigal child out in the far country. They don't know, but there's coming a day when all believers are carrying a palm branch and they're coming before the throne of God, everyone that has overcome. When those, when those Jews waved it that day when Jesus came through, it was a sign of harvest, that harvest has come. Will you hold that palm branch in that day? I believe that you will. Because salvation belongs to God, the one who sits on the throne. And to me, when they began to sing in heaven, it becomes infectious. All of a sudden, those who are in heaven already, they join in with those who have come from this earth and they join in and they start worshiping God, blessing, glory, honor. You know how it goes. And they're singing infected heaven. It infected heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said would happen? What you bind on earth would be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth will be loosed in heaven. If they're singing infected heaven, how about your singing on this earth? Who is that infecting? Some of you are singing the wrong song. Some of you are just singing the somebody done me wrong song over and over and over again. It's like, it's like playing a country western song backwards. You get your job back, you get your dog back, you get your house back, you get your wife back. But the, but the song that we're singing, it is infectious. People will join you in your song. Is your song that you're singing... A song of defeat, an Eeyore spirit. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go out and eat some worms. All for Jesus, of course. I'm defeated in Jesus. I'm depressed in the Lord. I'm a gossip to those who would listen in Jesus' name song are you singing? Your song is going to be infectious. People will join in when you start singing. I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals, and I can tell you without batting an eye, when a funeral service is very solemn and very down and very, very sad, if a song of worship starts to happen, no matter if it's at a graveside, a service, that song becomes infectious. And people start joining in in that song. All of a sudden, they're joining in in heaven because of our song. What song are you going to be singing on this earth? No one's in heaven who's not washed by the blood that's brought up from this planet. We were brought through something called temptation. We were brought through deep waters. We've held our faith. We've reached the other side. No one's blaming God for what they went through. Are you kidding me? No one's up there saying, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell Jesus what I've been really going. Nobody's doing that. Once we get there, it's been worth it all because we're with the Son of God. The palm means they've got through the battle. The palm means they've come through the battle. The white robe means they've come through Jesus. The palm says, I'm through it. The robe says, through Jesus. No pain, no palm. No palm. If there's no cross, there ain't no crown. No thorn, no throne. But we have to learn, friends, to glory in our tribulation. That's what the Bible teaches at Romans eight eighteen that these suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will one day be revealed to us Now think about your life's trials And you have to learn to say not worthy Not worthy of what I'm going to experience. Why because we've experienced his grace We're on the other side of the battle now And when we get there, we're gonna experience a life we've never imagined But you have to get it here by saying not worthy worthy to be compared these light affliction this offense this difficulty this situation this wayward child this sickness is in my body this child that's going through a divorce this situation that's coming to a court issue this thing is not worthy to steal my joy this thing is not worthy to steal my peace this addiction is not worthy to take my song this is not worthy why we're gonna hunger no more we're gonna thirst no longer no poverty no earthquakes when we get to heaven. No tornadoes are going to happen. Not worthy. No sickness. No pain. Nature starts to yield only joy. Only joy and laughter. No more funeral services to take place. Will no forgiveness from punishment of memories. The scars will be healed. Not worthy. The guilt will be silenced. What a day it will be. Will no more cancer. No more arthritis. No more flaws. No more glasses. No more wheelchairs. No more handicap parking. No more sickness. No more frustration? no more suffering no more failures no more hurtful words no more disease the harvest has come christ almighty's lord hallelujah can we stand together